Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Good evening, Thrive. Good evening. How did everyone enjoy the warm weather for the past two days? Yeah, anyone? Yeah. I was really upset when it was actually 20 degrees outside today, so. And I guess we're supposed to get a snowstorm? Did I hear that right? No? Some of you are hearing that for the first time, and I think that's really funny. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, So I'm really excited to see all of you guys here. Um, I I say this, I think, every time I get up here, but this is really one of my favorite nights of the week, Um, and just because we get to get, get to get together and um, really just try and press into God. Um, This is the second week in our Conversations with Jesus series where we are looking into the Gospels, into the stories of Jesus' interactions with other people, and we're trying to see what we can figure out about who Jesus is and what we can take away from that. So today we are going to be in Luke 8. Uh, If you want to turn there, we'll be starting in uh, verse 26. Uh, And in this story, um, if you were actually, if you go to the Maranatha Sunday service, you probably heard this a couple weeks ago. Um, So we're going to jump into the the Luke 8 account of Jesus and Legion. Um, And I'm just going to take a second to read the whole whole story. Um, And it is a little bit long, so kind of strap in. But I think it's important that we kind of get the whole story in one big chunk before I start to interrupt. So starting in verse 26. When they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell down before him, and he said with a loud voice, What what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. All right, and that's it. We can go home. 
Nah, I'm just kidding. Um, I think it's a very impactful story, and there's a lot that we can get into there, but I think the first thing um, that we need to talk about is, have you ever really thought about your salvation? Probably yes. Um, and if you haven't, I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you at the end. Um, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, I am just one person. I, in the grand scheme of things, probably don't matter all that much. And, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sinful, kind of gross. I'm just like this disgusting little human thing. So why did Jesus save me? Have you ever, like, really sat and wondered that? Because in my head, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I'm hoping that as we dig deeper into this, we can kind of come to an answer for that. So as we pick apart this passage, the first thing that we notice is that Jesus is in the country of the Gerasenes. Um, And you'll see there's like a little translation note um, that it potentially might be another country, but, um, or another city, excuse me. But the point is that he went across the Sea of Galilee, which means that he's now in Gentile territory or just non-Jewish people. Um, At this point in Jesus's ministry, he's been fairly rejected by all of the Jewish people that he's, that he's come into contact with. And at this point, it seems like he is reaching out into the Gentiles to see if his message will be accepted outside. And that's kind of a radical thing. Um, for basically all of the Old Testament, we're told that God's covenant is when, with the people of Israel. And now here is this man claiming to be the Son of God who is going out to the Gentiles and saying, hey, uh, I, like, he's going out here and saving and healing people, which, performing miracles among the Gentiles, just Jewish people probably wouldn't have liked that. Um, so I think we can see, even from the first verse of this, that Jesus came for all people. And in this story, he's coming in, and he's going to outsiders. He's reaching out to these people who were not part of the inner circle, part of the club. And he is getting, bringing them in. So we have three conversations after he crosses into this region um, that we can actually take, a, take apart. Um, and the first conversation is kind of the meat of the whole story is his interaction with these demons. Um, so as soon as he crosses over into the Gerasenes, this man is drawn to him. Um, we see that um, it says, Jesus stepped out on land, and there met him a man from the city who had demons. So it's not like he went out and was, like, searching this guy down. He goes and immediately is drawn to Jesus. And we learn a lot about him. Uh, like, we learned that he is kind of deranged and has been terrorizing this city so much to the point that they are putting him in chains and shackles, and he's breaking out of those and then going out into the desert, and he lives among the tombs. So he's, like, not Okay. Like, he's not doing good. Um, If you know anyone who is being shackled and they break out and they start to go live, like, in a cemetery, call for help. Um, Please. Um, So he's, what Jesus sees in this man is someone who is is desperate. They say that he's naked. He's, He's living among the dead. And I just need to, like, have a brief aside here that this man is not just mentally ill. He is possessed by demons. And that's, like, an uncomfortable thing to talk about. 
because um, it gets like a little charismatic and like whatever. But demons are real. They do possess people, and they can impose their will on people, and that's an uncomfortable and a scary truth, um, but it's one that we can't shy away from. So this man is possessed by demons, and he is rejected by this, by this town because they, they obviously can't help him. They don't know what to do, so they cast him out of the town, and Jesus, or the man is drawn to Jesus, and he sees a man who is not only a Gentile, probably, but also an outsider within his community. And he reaches, and he sees an opportunity for this man to be saved. And then the fight breaks out. So Luke is, is, a, is a physician, and he's very technical in the way that he writes this out. So, and I don't think that he captures the drama of the situation all that well. And he actually tells it kind of in reverse order, which is weird. So let me just give you a breakdown of what happens. Jesus sees this man and sees him in his pain and in his anguish, and he commands the demon to come out. And the demon resists. You see that because, let me find it here, When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. This man is now in agony and pain, or the demons, doesn't say. Um, so we see this demon resisting, wanting to hold on and wanting to continue to impose his will on this man because he so desperately wants to distort the image of God, so desperately wants to keep this man not looking like what God wants him to look like. And then he kind of tries to posture. He tries to, like, strike back at him. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, this is an easy, like, right hook to kind of miss because we don't really think about, uh, we don't really think about, like, fighting spiritual battles, I think, a whole lot in today's culture. But it was superstition of the time that if you knew someone's full name and you used someone's full name, you had spiritual power or authority over them. So the townspeople that are all watching this just see this man they know is possessed by demons that they have no control over, just saw this other guy who just, you know, stepped off this boat, and they're like, he's like writhing in pain on the ground and, and everything, and then he says his name. So now, in their minds, this demon now has the upper hand. And so they're probably a little bit worried, because, I mean, I would have to guess that this man has probably overcome some other people in the past. So he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then we notice um, that he's, he, he has the upper hand, but he's also slightly desperate. He says, I beg, I beg you, do not torment me. So we see that he's fighting with all his might, but he still realizes that Jesus has authority. He still realizes that Jesus is the person, like, is going to be the person that's going to beat him. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. And isn't that kind of ironic that a demon is saying, don't, don't torment me, as he's taken this man and basically had him break out of chains, put him out into the desert and alone and lived among the tombs. And it says in Mark that he cuts himself. He says, Jesus, do not torment me. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? So if you're the, if you're the Gerasenes, you're thinking, okay, um, 
this guy is going to get the, 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 the demon's name, and then he's going to exercise him, and then everything's going to be good. Maybe this guy knows what he's doing finally. It doesn't seem like he's all that affected by the demons knowing his name. And then he says, legion. So we see the demon postures here. Now, you can argue that this is a collective name of a bunch of demons, but I really think that it's the demons kind of trying to, to puff up their chest a little bit, to say, like, we are legion, we are many. Now, how many demons? We don't know. A legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. Do I think it was 6,000 demons? Probably not. Um, <laughs> we see Mary Magdalene, even in the cha chapter before, has seven demons, and that was kind of a big deal um, to, get, to get her free of that. So, and we also see in Mark, from the herd of pigs, that there are about 2,000 pigs, so you could make a case for about 2,000 demons. The reality is, there's a lot, and um, the very intellectual answer for how many demons there are is, I don't know. But there's a lot, and they want to try to intimidate Jesus, and they're also sidestepping this little superstition of, you have to know my name to exercise me by giving them this posturing legion name. I am a legion. We don't have a name. What are you going to do now? So now all the people are, are probably very concerned, like, oh no, um, this demon um, knows, knows this guy's name, uh, and he, he used it, um, and he just sidestepped Jesus's like, I don't box. What is, what is a good, like, punching word? Right hook? Right hook. Jab. jab. Thank you. He dodged the jab. So now, the demon has two upper hands, at least in the eyes of these people. But we see that this really is no problem for Jesus at all. The demons are still desperate. And they begged him, they saw a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let him enter these. So now, they've gone from the point of trying to win this fight to, all right, we gotta, we gotta kind of cut our losses here. And it says that they are desperate not to go into the abyss. I mean, think about that. Like, Hell is such a place that even demons don't want to be there. Thank God that we don't have to be there because of the work that Jesus did for us. So the demon starts bargaining. He realizes that he doesn't quite have what it takes to win this altercation. And, you know, think about it as, as like if you were like a kid and you went to the store with your mom and she's like, okay, you can go pick out one thing that you can get. And if you're a kid, like, I don't know, maybe this is just because I'm, 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 I'm like a guy, but like I go straight to the electronics. Like if, we're in tar like if we're in Target, I'm going straight to the electronics. Thank you. And you know, you like grab a, grab a big old PlayStation 5 and you're like, you said one thing. You, you said one thing. I got it. I got it. And then, and, then, and then what does your mom say? Okay, well, then I guess you're getting nothing at all. Okay, I'll go, I'll go over to the action figures. No, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. And that's what the demon's doing here right now. He's saying, no. He says, 
Jesus commands him to come out of this man, and he starts to struggle, like, no, I, I want this guy. I want this guy. And then Jesus goes, I mean, I could also send you to hell. And they're like, I mean, what about the pigs? We could go into the pigs. I like, I just, I don't want, I want to go there. Like, please? So why does Jesus allow these demons to even enter the pigs? Like, like in my head, these demons are nothing but evil. All they're doing is distorting the image of God. They've basically, tor- they've tormented this man for who knows how long. And now they just want to enter a, a herd of pigs. Like, they're just, why, why not just defeat them for good? And I think the imagery here is very important. When, these, when the demons enter the pigs, they rush straight into the water and they're drowned. And I think Jesus is doing this to give us an image of the final defeat of Satan. If you look in Revelation 20, um, I think I, maybe I don't have that. In Revelation 20, um, Satan and his demons are cast into the lake. And I think he's trying to show this image of things to come. Jesus will finally defeat all, oh, there it is. Perfect. Um, You can read it on your own. So Jesus does have final authority over these demons. And notice that they can't even enter the pigs without the permission that Jesus gives them. So one thing we can't miss in this interaction, in this conversation that he has, if you can even call it a conversation, is that Jesus has authority over all creation. He has authority over us, he has authority over our lives, and he can save us out of any situation. That man was beyond help. He could not, no, nobody in the town could do anything for him. They were, they were binding him down to try and keep him from hurting himself and from hurting others, and Jesus comes in and handles the situation like that because he has authority. So, this is a dramatic scene. What, like, what just happened? A whole bunch of people were watching, and a whole bunch of people are now going to leave to go tell someone about it. It says, when the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and the country. And notice what the natural reaction to watching something astounding is. Like, so, like, real big picture, you just saw two guys fight on a shore, and a herd of pigs run and drown themselves. I mean, if I saw that, I would probably tell people about it too. But it's amazing, when, when God does a work in our lives, do we tell other people about it? Maybe sometimes. But are we as excited to talk about that as we are about some huge event that's happening in the news? I think a lot of the things that God does in our lives are, is astounding, and the natural reaction to that should be that we share it with others. As we see that the natural reaction to a move of God is the herdsmen saw what happened, and they fled, and they told it in the city and the country. So, the bittersweet part about this is that they kind of don't get it. They run out and they tell everyone, they all kind of come back, and they're scared. 
These are, these are Gentiles, so they're allowed to eat, eat pigs, so they just lost, like, a ton of food. Um, where are my Dumas peoples at? Is there really only one in here? Okay, okay, sweet. How long, how, how long can one pig feed a person? Okay, okay. A long time, though, right? And that's one pig. We know, we know from Mark that it's about 2,000 pigs. So this is, this is food for an entire city of people for maybe a week, maybe two. I don't know. My Dumas people, like, really let me down. Um, <laughs> but they're scared. It says that they're seized with fear, that their eyes are blinded. They can't they, they don't know what's happening. This word seized is actually the same word that's used in Acts 7 at the stoning of Stephen when Stephen says he looks up into heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he's, and, and, and he's about to proclaim who Jesus is to these people. It says that they seized up their ears so they couldn't hear. Now here, these people are, are terrified and this fear is, is, is keeping them from seeing who Jesus is truly is, and maybe it is their fear of security, fear of not having food. Also, watching their entire understanding of spirituality get flipped on its head because the Son of God came and walked among them. But really, the problem is, is that they don't know Jesus. They might look at Jesus and, and, and recognize that he has a lot of power, he just cast out all of these demons, but just like the Pharisees in Matthew 12, he thought, they might have thought, oh, it must just be a more powerful demon in this man. Either way, they just don't understand. They're blinded by fear, and we need to talk about fear, because fear and fear of God is a good thing. If we look, it's, the problem is, is when we start to fear earthly things. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, and those who, f- uh, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we know from Proverbs that um, the, the beginning of knowledge, or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. So, n- fear of the Lord can do a couple of things here. Fear of the Lord can cause you to fall down and worship at his feet and can lead you to knowledge and wisdom. And we also see fear of the Lord when you misunderstand who he is leads to the Gerasenes desperately asking Jesus to leave. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And I wrestled, I wrestled with this next part for about two weeks because Jesus just gets in the boat and he leaves. And I wish that I had a really awesome, encouraging kind of like Bible gymnastics way around that. I, and I don't. If you ask God to leave, I can't tell you that he's going to leave you out to dry because he won't. We just spent a whole series in Jonah where Jonah said, no, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, thanks, no, I'm sweet. Yeah, I don't want to do any of that. And God was like, no, no, no. 
grabbed him by the ear and like just drug him over here. We're gonna do. We're gonna go preach to the Ninevites. Okay. So God will do that. But if you ask Jesus honestly to leave, he just might. I, I don't like that. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I feel the need. We, it's another one of those things that we can't shy away from. I think when it comes down to it, it's just that the Gerasenes aren't willing to follow Jesus yet. Whether that's because of their fear and whether or not that's their fault is a whole conversation that we could have for years. But they're just not willing to follow him and they're not willing to learn from him. Are you willing to learn from Jesus? Are you willing to truly follow him? And to put your faith and trust in him? You know, it says in James 2.19 that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I don't think there's going to be any demons in heaven. It also says that a faith without works is dead. And I'm not here to tell you that your works save you. But a true saving faith is one that leads to action. If I were to tell you that I had faith in this chair, and I just put it right here, I said, yeah, I trust, I trust that, that chair. I believe that it will hold me up, up to, I don't know, maybe 400 pounds, 500 pounds, whatever. So, and I'm not that much, so if I sat in it, it would be great. And if someone told me to sit in that chair and I walked up to it and went, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I believe, I just told you that I believe that that chair will hold me up. And intellectually, I believe that that chair will hold me up. But I demonstrate my faith in the chair by sitting in it. We see an example of someone who is led to faith, and that's the man who the demons had gone out. It says that he's found at the feet of Jesus, worshiping. As soon as he is healed, and as soon as he finds his faith, he is, at the knee, he is on his knees at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, and he is begging him to just be in his presence. He's not asking him for anything else. We see that he's clothed. He's no longer vulnerable. We see him healed and in his right mind. But all he wants to do is be with Jesus and to learn more from Jesus. And Jesus tells him no. I think that's because this man has already got everything that he needs to live out his life in service of God. Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Declare how much God has done for you. If you look at that word declare, it means to describe in great detail. 
That means that he's going to have to go to smaller groups of people and, and basically dedicate his life to telling every ounce of what happened to him and how radical the transformation was. Jesus gave him everything that he needed because your testimony is one of the most powerful tools to share the gospel with other people. How has Jesus changed your life? Because it's a story that no one can argue with. I know one of my favorite nights at church is when I'm hearing other people's testimonies, and I love to grab coffee with people just to hear what God has done in their lives and what he is still doing in their lives. That is like kind of an open invite, but I'm like also a little busy. But I'd love to get coffee with everyone, so that'd be great. Um, but testimonies are so powerful, even to people who are already believers, because it just continues to affirm all the changes that have happened in our life because of Jesus, and all the changes that are happening in other people's lives because of Jesus. So this man is already equipped, and it says that he goes away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus has done for him. He sat in the chair. He believed God could do what he did. He believed that he was, he was changed, and it led him to action. It led him to go out and to share his faith with others. And if, we, if you look at this account at the end of Mark, um, not the end of the book of Mark, um, I just don't want to say a chapter number and get it wrong. Um, but if you look at this encounter in Mark, it ends and it says the people marveled. And so I have to imagine that at least a few of those people also came to faith in Christ. So Jesus did leave those people. But he didn't leave them without a hope. So why did Jesus cross the Sea of Galilee? That's like a, it's like something I was thinking about as I got to the end of the story and was like picking apart all the words and everything. It's like, well, okay, so then big picture, like why, why did he go over there? Because it doesn't seem like he got a whole lot done. Like he, he exercised some demons and then got told to leave and he, he peaced out. So he went over there to save one man. One man who was broken and vulnerable, oppressed, cast out. One man. And through that one man, he decided to, he wanted to reach a whole group of people. So why did Jesus save me? Why did Jesus save you? We're small. We're sinful. We're kind of gross sometimes. We are just as valuable as that one man that he crossed the sea through and calmed a storm to get to. And through us, he wants to reach the world. In Second Peter, 
says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the great commission. That is the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples, and it is the command that we live by as a church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think he's very clear. The reason that we're here and the reason that we're saved and the reason that he is doing all this transformative work in our lives is that he wants us all to be redeemed. He wants all to reach repentance. He wants all to be saved. And we get to take part in that. I think that's kind of exciting. The ultimate will of God is something that he, not only we can participate in, but he wants us to participate in. And frankly, he's commanded us to participate in. Now, I'm not saying that you have to like you pack up your bags and move to China. If someone in this room like really feels like you need to move to China and that's like what the Lord's saying to you right now, go. Absolutely. But that's not what I'm saying. For this man, he didn't even have to leave. He actually was told not to leave. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Who are the people in your life right now who don't know Christ? Have you had conversations with them? Do they know what Christ has done for you? Who are the people at your work who don't know? Who are the people in your home who don't know who Christ is? And maybe they know about Christ. Maybe they've seen a little bit of what he's, what he's done, and they, don't, they don't, just don't quite understand it. They're like kind of afraid. They've been seized by fear. They don't understand who he is. Maybe they've already asked him to leave. That just means that it's your turn to go and reach them. Because Jesus has already given you everything that you need to go out and fulfill his mission for the world. He has equipped us and he has commissioned us to reach out and bring outsiders into our family. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much for this night and for these people and for your word. Father, thank you for Jesus that he reaches out to people, um, people who were once outsiders, and he brings them into this family. Father, I thank you that he lived a perfect life for us. Father, I thank you that he died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day to pay for our sins. And Father, I just thank you that we can learn from all of these interactions from him. God, I pray that as we go out from this room that we would be burdened over the people who do not know Christ. I pray that we would be burdened for them and we would, we would just seek for them to understand. God, I pray that you would lift 
the veil from their eyes and that you would open the door for conversations for everyone in this room to share Christ this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. Mingle and, yeah? Oh, you're dismissed.